Okay, thanks for listening to this special edition of the Croncast. Joining us is uh, our special guru of minor leaguers and draftees, Roger Munter. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you very much. I did not know I was a guru, but I will. I'll take it. You have to be a guru to get on as a guest. That's excellent. The, so, you we have made you. It's kind of like uh, getting into the Writers Guild. You could pay to get into the guild, or you could just sell a script and you're automatically in. So there you go. Is this uh, like one of those honorary PhDs? Absolutely, at an honorary university. On a university, we don't exist. So <laughs> it's all digital. Uh, so if you haven't, if you're just listening to this as your first coverage of the draft of, of the Giants 2016 draft, um, first, you're not going to see any of these players for five years or ever, right? That's basically <laughs> the rule of thumb with baseball drafts. That's, that's probably a good, good rule of thumb, yeah. And, uh, like if you were to sit down, like my, my mother, let's say, and she, for some reason was really interested in it. Like, what would you generally say the Giants did with their draft um, earlier this month? Like, was there a theme? Or was, like, what were they trying to do? Or what did they do? So, I would say there are a couple of themes. Um, and actually, but to really to get into what they did, I think you have to back up and look at what their circumstances were. And I don't know if your mother will be interested in, in the context here. But under the... I am the- that's all I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Under the CBA that's currently in, a, in running baseball, um, how you can approach the draft is really dependent on the size of your bonus pool allotment. Every single pick in the first 10 rounds comes with its own slot value. And the more value you have, the more kinds of games you can play with the draft. So teams that have high picks in the first round and particularly teams that have multiple picks in the first couple rounds, which there were a bunch of this year, Atlanta, San Diego, those people have a ton of money to try and sign lots and lots of particularly high school kids, high upside kids. The Giants this year, in part because they signed Jeff Samarja and in part because they didn't lose anybody, their first draft pick was in the second round. So they started with, I believe it was the third lowest pool allotment of any team in baseball, which really limits what you can do. Um, Particularly, it limits it to getting college players because it's going to be really hard to sign high school kids with little money who have the whole option of going to college and hanging it over you. Um, But I think this particular draft kind of lined up well for the Giants because, one, it was not considered a really, really a great draft. Um, and particularly, it was not considered to have a lot of impact talent. It did have pretty decent depth. And in particular, it had depth at a position that doesn't usually go off in the first round, which is college corner outfielders. Usually the top of the draft is up the middle talent and college pitchers, and neither of those were really, really exceptional in this year's draft. So what was likely going to fall as value to the Giants where they were was college outfielders, and that's exactly what happened. They ended up using three of the first six picks on college outfielders, um, and all of them they got kind of higher than people had predicted them going off the board. So they were all good value picks. Uh, um, and generally, generally, I would say that was kind of the approach. So that's you broke that all down in in about a minute and a half, uh, very succinctly. But that probably came from 
you know, eight months of planning, <laughs> probably the organization having these stress because it, it logically makes sense. And it seems like if you can control certain aspects, if you know, kind of generally your game plan, you know, you want a guy like Samarja, so you know, you're going to surrender a pick. I, I guess I'm saying like, there's a lot of uh, moving parts to this and the giants were able to sort of figure out where they wanted all these pieces to go. Maybe they're surprised that their number one overall, their number one pick, which was actually in the second round, obviously Brian Reynolds typically considered to be a first round talent that maybe they're still surprised he fell to them or was available to them. Or do you just think based on what you said, like that was just an area that would be available to them and it worked out that their plans and what happened uh, and circumstances led to that success. Uh, I would guess that they were very pleasantly surprised that Brian Reynolds was available to them where they picked. And it seems like most everybody else was. If you, if you follow the, if you read a lot of the prognosticators, um, the general, I think, view of that pick was, I can't believe he was still there, there. The Giants got a great value. Uh, and in fact, I had seen a lot of people kind of mock the Giants, Heath Quinn, at that number 59 pick. He ended up being their pick at 95. Uh, so I think if you look at where people were, it was well, if you look at, for instance, uh, Baseball America has a top 500 they do, this gigantic database where they rank people. Uh, and they had Reynolds at 31 and Quinn at 48. And uh, and uh, Matt Crook, the Giants' fourth-round pick, at 87. And the Giants got all of those guys 20 to 30 picks, 40 picks even later. So they had to be pleasantly surprised with what fell to them. Do you, think that, do you think that Brian Reynolds fell because he spells his first name B-R-Y-A-N? <laughs> <laughs> that seems pretty reasonable to me, actually. People can't handle that much truth. Is that what you're <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the only team that's really equipped to handle Brian's like that are the Giants, Brian Srabian. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, what can you tell us about Brian Reynolds? I mean, he's a switch hitter, which I I like, and uh, six foot three, two hundred pounds. So I don't know. I'm kind of envisioning like Mac Williamson in some degree with. Uh, um, I actually also really, really like switch hitters. I've, I have a lifelong fascination with switch hitters, so I love that part of his game. I think this is a really rough, rough sketch, and, and maybe this puts him in a bad light, which I don't mean to do. But I think to some degree in Reynolds, you've got something like a switch hitting, more athletic, true center fielding version of Jarrett Parker who doesn't strike out hopefully quite as much. Um, but Reynolds is very athletic. He has, you know, in the grading scale, the scouting scale, they say he's a guy who has a lot of sixes. So he does a lot of things above average. He's fast. He's a good fielder. Um, he can hit. He can hit for power. He does have swing and miss in his game, but since he's almost certainly a center fielder, it may not hurt him as badly as it would if he were corner outfielder. I mean, he's a guy to really like, I think. Um, so, I mean, this is, it's just solid. It's kind of surprising. I guess the first two picks for the Giants, uh, Reynolds and Quinn being outfielders, and actually three, as you mentioned, three of their first four picks, four of their first five, here we go, are all position players, which to yeah. me is, is uh, very surprising for the Giants, but it's 
the draft basically the the good teams go with like best available i would assume and i would say that the giants having these guys as the best available and knowing that they can take project pitchers essentially um i i'd say that that sounds like they they lucked out i mean you you pointed out they they got three players you know 30 or 40 picks later than you would have than they would have been projected to be so it sounds like they got pretty lucky yeah, and, and I know everybody's kind of used to the Giants picking players who weren't projected to go for 30 or 40 picks later. So this, <laughs> Giants fans don't really know how to handle this draft kind of thing. Um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm personally very worried that they're just not going to – it's not going to do well because they're going very <laughs> against type here. Other people liking what the Giants doing, I'm not – I don't like it. I'm not used to it. I think it's weird. It's not the natural order of things, and it seems like it'll backfire. It, it it does seem like it could be cataclysmic, yes. Well, it see one thing that I remember uh, not too long ago was when they drafted Joe Panic. What whatever draft year that was, that that was considered a generally solid draft, but that the Panic pick was a little bit of a head scratcher in terms of a reach, but not that the player was bad or was bad. Even though I think most people thought Panic would be more like um, like a like a utility player. Um, but this one, <laughs> I mean, this seems to be some sort of weird marriage of like people maybe being surprised with the giants fortunes, but generally looking at the players they they have as all pretty solid. So I, I feel like the tide is tur- like people recognizing that the giants can draft good players and maybe they're getting mocked a little bit less for not getting the big names, but they seem to be targeting just solid guys on paper even. And then the extra 2% or whatever the Giants bring to the table maybe being the thing that turns the tide. Or am I making all this up? I don't know. <laughs> That's all drafts are, right? Making, making crap up? Oh, yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, I think you're, you're, what you're saying is that they were this draft is kind of about contributors and not stars, which seems like a pretty reasonable way to look at it. And it's also a pretty good value for how they were – set up to draft to begin with. And the Giants are good at contributors anyway. So so you're saying that Reynolds can play potentially center field. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at it. They've got center fielders, shortstops, not a ton of them or whatever, but just the fact that they can get any sort of – that you draft and get any sort of up the middle anything that are like written down as center field or shortstop – because a lot of times you'll see, oh, he's a shortstop, and they're like, nah, I think he'll end up in left field. Or it's like, oh, that guy's a that guy's a, a second baseman. No, he'll be a DH. Like it always works out. Uh, a lot of the times in drafts, you kind of see that kind of stuff. Um, uh, like Buster Posey, right? He's a, exactly. he's a shortstop. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why the draft is always shortstop and center fielders because those guys, as they get up ah. the ladder, they move down. You know, Ryan Braun was a shortstop in college, and. Right. Jarrett Parker was a center fielder in college. And, you know, as they go up, they move down the defensive spectrum. But yeah, Reynolds is supposed to be an actual center fielder. So, uh, what can you tell us? About? Oh, actually, I want to bring this up real quick. The Giants drafted a guy named Ryan Howard, who I hope is nothing like the current Ryan Howard, um, who was a nice player when he was, you know, had been in the minors for a long time and then came up and did well. Um, <laughs> And then the they also drafted Jason about Hayward's Howard. brother. Oh, sorry. They did. The important yeah. thing about Ryan Howard is they drafted him two years in a row. 
Oh. They also drafted him last year. So <laughs> they liked them some Ryan Howard. That's right. Uh, what, they like those two first names, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jacob Hayward, Jason Hayward's brother. Um, is there anything you can tell us that stands out about them that either that you like about them or that the Giants might have liked about them? Or is it strictly name recognition? <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is another lazy comp. I've got a lot of these today. Uh, to me, Ryan Howard is in a lot of ways reminiscent of a guy they took last year in the 11th round, C.J. Hinojosa, um, who's actually having a, a breakout year with San Jose. Um, but he's, he's a guy with sort of, you know, hit tool skills. He's a contact hitter um, who's probably a little bit stretched at shortstop, maybe more of a second baseman, fringe arm. But, you know, he makes a lot of contact. Um, very much like Hinojosa, who fell last year because of a terrible, terrible junior season at Texas. Uh, but as soon as he became a pro, he, he started hitting like people thought he would before. I remember the Giants being very excited about getting Hinojosa, <clears throat> that they thought that that was kind of a lucky get for them, that they thought he was yeah. going to bounce back. So that worked Yeah, out. a lot of people predicted said that that was one of the better third-day third, third day picks last year. Uh, and I think it's it's turned out that way. So, uh, and Howard fits that the whole organizational profile of contact, contact, contact. We just want to put the ball in play and... Make something yeah, happen. Absolutely. <clears throat> and then Jacob uh, Hayward, just Jacob like Hayward. This, they want the secrets of Jason Hayward, right? Like whatever <laughs> he can tell us. But at a fraction of the price. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been a real inconsistent player in college. I, I think everywhere you read about him is a lot of inconsistency in college. Um, and, def- and then he's not the defensive player. His younger brother is, even though he – has played center field in college. He's one of two guys that they can't sign for a while because they're still playing. Um, both Hayward and um, uh, Garrett Williams, the lefty that they drafted in the seventh round, are still playing in the College World Series. And so they can't sign either of those guys till the till their teams are out. Uh, and in Williams' case in particular, I think that could have some ripples. Uh, I doubt they'll get Brian Reynolds signed until they get a final number for Williams. But they can always go over the slot and pay a penalty or something, right? Or I'm not totally aware. Or is I, the penalty like you have to give up your territorial rights to Oakland? <laughs> you can go uh, – You can go. Uh, now I have to come up with what the number is off the top of my head. I think it's 5% over that you can do and the only penalty is, is money. And But if you get over 5%, you actually surrender a draft pick, which nobody – in this CBA, no team has ever done that. So everybody goes up to you know four point nine percent over and stops there. And the Giants have done that every year. In fact, I think. So the so the issue then is that um, since both Will, Garrett Williams and Brian Reynolds are going to go over, they only have a certain amount that they can allot between the two of them. Is that is that right? It's. I think that Reynolds won't want to sign until he knows the last dollar that they have available yeah. for. Okay. So. All right. They so, signed a lot of their lower picks. Uh, they're, they're signing. They're signing third day guys left and right already. I've noticed. Uh, well, yeah, but as of this moment, it looks like they've got about. I'm just eyeballing. It looks like almost half or half of their picks signed as of now. Um, yeah. Uh, just look. It's just on the main giant site. Uh, is there anyone that's that we're not talking about who you think we should be talking about? 
who the Giants drafted. Uh, we should probably talk about Matt Crook because he was a really interesting. He was a really interesting fourth round pick. He he's a great, I think, risk reward pick. He's a guy who was actually very highly rated coming out of high school. Um, <clears throat> who was, I think, a first. I think a supplemental first round pick coming out of high school for Florida. And he ended up not signing because they didn't like something in his physical. And uh, then he went to Oregon uh, um, and has at various times been fantastic. He, uh, he had TJ. Other times he hasn't been able to throw strikes. But at his best and when healthy, he has huge, huge stuff. But he hasn't always been at his best or healthy. Um, so he's kind of a a guy who in the fourth round makes a lot of sense as potentially star stuff that you're getting on the cheap, uh, which is another thing the Giants have done a lot of the last last few years, getting guys who fell because of injury or bad junior seasons. And it's worked out well at times. He's also a Northern California native, so I just imagine that the Giants know him very well versus That's right. a lot of other guys. He's a real wild card in the draft. He's, he's one of those guys who, yeah, he could get hurt again or he could never find the strike zone again, but he could end up being a steal for a fourth-round pick. Well, that's why I saw that sort of one of the main things, you know, if you were to tag what the Giants did, it's basically like, do you have stuff? Do you, you know, are you a powerful guy? If you are a mess everywhere else, we'll figure it out. So, And I certainly think you see that in the Major League roster. You know, oh, Hunter Strickland, you have no idea where the ball's going sometimes. That's fine. <laughs> Come on board, um, uh, Josh. Josh Osich, you you really you, you throw ninety four and you're left handed. Great. <laughs> so, that's Josh all Osich is a really a similar pick to Matt Crook. Actually, he was he also had a lot of injury problems uh, at uh, he went to Oregon State, I think. Um, very highly regarded coming out of school. Had at times he was like front of the rotation kind of profile, but he had all kinds of injury issues, but he had the stuff, he had the arm, and sooner or later they figured it out. Have you seen him um, specifically? Matt Crook? Yeah. Uh, only on only on TV. Okay. I'm interested in this power curve that I'm seeing pop up. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's, I sounds Resume. very seedy the way I said it. Oh, yeah, I want to get a look at that <laughs> curve. <laughs> And I guess the other guy that's sort of interesting is uh, uh, their six-round pick, uh, Gio Brusa, um, who is, is probably will not surprise you, had a great Cape Cod league uh, <laughs> a couple summers ago. <laughs> Only our but, first, yeah. We're 20 minutes into this, and it's the first time the Cape, Cape Cod league's been there. <laughs> um, and he's a UOP kid, but after that Cape Cod league, he just had a horrible, horrible, horrible junior year where he was injured and everything went wrong for him. And he was drafted pretty low, I think, last year by the Cardinals and went back for senior year season, was healthy, showed the player he was again. He's a guy who's got big power. Other than Quinn, he's the biggest power they drafted in this in this draft. Yeah, um, he's also a switch hitter. So, <laughs> Yeah, he's probably Michael Morris as a fielder, but oh. there's – there's a potential that oh. the power will we'll play for. So, so you're saying he's a big league shortstop? <laughs> I, I am saying that, yes. Uh, how, that's just, that, these little quirks, everything in baseball has some sort of quirk in it. And I, I love now recognizing like, oh yeah, 
Mike Piazza, you have no position. Go be a catcher. You'll get drafted. And it's basically, that's all. It really, there's its own, and everyone knows that. Like, there's its own culture, its own traditions, and everyone knows the score there. It's it's funny. Another random funny baseball thing here. Um, you know, I, I think Mike Piazza, if he were, if he were catching today instead of when he would, when he was, he'd have a much better reputation because my memory of him was that he was actually a really good receiver, but he couldn't throw anybody out. That's a hundred percent. I think that's right. That's that's him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's he's been reevaluated in recent years. I think defensively by people who were like, "Why did everyone hate him? That was stupid." <laughs> and I think he got. I think he actually demonstratively got better every year he he caught too. So that was another part of it. People yeah. got stuck in the initial evaluation. Uh, this this Ryan Kirby guy. I mean, that's a power hitter's first baseman's name. That's that's exactly what he is. So that means he's going to be like a middle reliever. He's uh, another Northern like, California guy. Ah, and I, the Giants I, I, have signed him. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about him? Um, so he got better every year at San Diego. He's a guy who has good raw power, but it didn't always show up in college in games. Uh, in fact, six home runs is the best. I think he had six home runs this year. It was his best year. Uh, but Scott always said he had good-looking BP. Uh, he's also had knee injuries uh, in college that have slowed him down quite a bit. Uh, but he's a first baseman. He's interesting. He's a first baseman who I think scouts think should play left field rather than first base. Uh, well, Bruso was uh, an outfielder who scouts think maybe can play first base instead of the outfield. So maybe those two can kind of mix it up and yeah. <laughs> figure something out between them. Why am I thinking of Ricky Oropesa as we're talking about um, <laughs> we're talking about him, <laughs> Kirby? <laughs> I saw Ricky Oropesa play third base in Richmond. So, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, they played in there for like a week. In fact, it was it was really something. <laughs> um, I I don't think I think the Giants were excited by that guy's power potential, and uh, and 2015 I remember last year at 17 home runs, but I mean. He's never his OPS is never cracking eight hundred. It's barely cracking seven hundred. So yeah, poor Ricky. He, <laughs> he he can hit the ball a long, long way, but he does not do that very consistently, unfortunately. So I, I think, as you mentioned, you know, people are surprised by the Giants' fortunes in this particular draft and all that. And you know, you you've been following, you know, the organization uh, very well. I, how would you grade it? Or if not, how would you grade it? Like, what, what? what's your just takeaway from it? Does it leave you with a smile on your face? Are you happy to see what happens next? Or are you just kind of like, eh, whatever? <laughs> uh, no, a definite smile. It's a smiley face draft. Um, I was a big fan of the 2015 draft, actually, too. Um, but this one, they weren't, I mean, they had two first round picks last year, which totally changes how you can approach a draft. Uh, I really felt this one, this year's was solid, and that it worked out that they got all those outfielders when outfielder is such a position of need in the in the system. Uh, there's actually another outfielder who maybe bears mention to. He's a lower round pick. Every year for like the last four years, they've taken somebody out of uh, Puerto Rico with like their 12th or 13th round pick, and they did that again this year and took this kid uh, Jose Lair Lair. Uh, who Chris Crawford of BP actually said was he thought one of the best third round third day picks that anybody had. Um, a long, 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 
long-term project, but really athletic. So, as an outfielder, yeah, as a oh. center fielder. So, and, uh, yeah, I think on they the did Giants, a good job. They have him as a pitcher. Did they really? Jose Lair. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's an outfielder. Yeah. And Born I, in 1997, I, I was 16 I, years old. My God. I'm hoping they are not <laughs> converting him just <laughs> as of yet. Um, so yeah, I think it was a, a value draft that also matched up pretty well with one of the obvious weaknesses of the system, which is a need for outfielders. And then they got a whole bunch of people to throw the ball a billion miles an hour and have no idea where it's going, which is <laughs> always a good thing to pick up a handful of. It's just weird that they're like, we want, do you remember the movie Major League? Yes. We want that every year. So <laughs> we just want balls flying all over and it's a health hazard just to walk out on the fields. Uh, Absolutely. So, so who, who do you think was maybe the worst pick? I mean, who do you think they shouldn't have taken? Like um, this bon- they, they, they drafted Bono. They shouldn't have drafted Bono. <laughs> you two so over. <laughs> Christoph you know, that's, Bono? That's, that's, that's Steve Bono's son, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, then that's <laughs> So <laughs> that may even be a different joke you want to tell. <laughs> uh, I'm happy with my first one. <laughs> <laughs> They did take quite a few seniors, uh, college seniors, and I always uh, I fish eye a little bit when they do seniors. Although, you know, what do I know? Some of these guys are going to turn out great. I'm sure there's another tie block in here uh, somewhere because they love the the crafty, slow throwing lefty is another another one they love they love picking up. Um, I'm going to go with Sidney Dupre. That's the that's <laughs> the one. Or Sidney Dupre, whatever it is. Six uh, two two hundred. That's crafty lefty right there. <laughs> uh, what do we got here? Oh, Reagan Bazaar. He's throwing at hundred miles an hour, so that's that's definitely a good one. Six seven <laughs> two fifty. He just gets poured into his uniform, right? Because that's not two fifty on the field. That's just the Giants love six seven guys. They they're always picking up six seven guys. I get it. The downward plane for sure. Chris Falwell is six seven and two ten. That's like Chris Sale esque, I'm sure. Um, oh, Nick D, the guy they got from Central Michigan, who by the way also an excellent Cape Cod league. Uh, <laughs> he was he was like an eighty eight eighty nine guy um, huh. in college. Some of these guys still pick up velocity though once they get drafted, right? Or is it? Is it really oh yeah. Okay, yeah. No, no, that happens all the time. Um, particularly the younger players and the bigger players. And the Giants really like – the one thing they have is a body type, and they like tall guys with huge shoulders. Um, would you say <laughs> that's true, Doug? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there anything you can talk about with these catchers? Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Giants uh, since Benji Molina, their sort of paper towel ability with catchers to kind of like shuffle through them and – I know it's not all from the system, but uh, I don't know. That you know, um, it just seems to be working out fine for them. And I'm wondering if the revolving door is going to continue. <laughs> uh, I think most of the catchers are in this draft are probably org org guys. Um, you always have to draft a whole bunch of catchers because you need people in all the minor league teams to catch all the pitchers you have. Which is <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fact of minor league life that you need to have a whole lot of catchers around because you've got a whole lot of pitchers who need work. Um, and so every year you'll see like six catchers get drafted. So if you're just listening and you're not 
following along or you haven't seen the list, the, the Giants drafted in the third, what is this, in the 11th round, so their 10th pick, uh, Jason DeLay. <laughs> and my yeah. question is, what's the more likely joke for his last name, that he's going to get a lot of catcher's interference calls, or that he's going to take a long time to get to the major leagues? And so based on his last name, the more likely joke. <laughs> I, like, I, I will take joke number two. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> see what's also, behind the door on that one. Yeah. I I agree with joke number two. I will also say uh, being convicted for fraud would be another one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good uh, political pull there. So. Yeah, <laughs> Delay actually has a very good defensive reputation, and he comes from Vanderbilt, which is a program that always has a lot of high velocity pitchers. So he's he's. He can catch velocity. He's kind of like Jax. Hey, that's the guy that immediately jumps into my head. It is Jackson Williams, Jason Delay. And, oh. and they got him hundreds of picks after they got Jackson. The <laughs> that's right. Seven draft. So hey, it so works. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, is there? Um, I guess in terms of front lines, well, front lines are so crook. They're hoping they project obviously as some guy in the rotation. Uh, is there? A, is there another guy, like one other one perhaps, that that's just like – because this is what I worry about at night, Roger. I'm like, oh, my God, the Giants pitching depth. I mean, <laughs> when Cueto's gone after next year, what's going to happen? Um, and, no, I'm already sad about that. Yeah. I'm No, I'm thrilled by it. No, I'm totally happy with it. <laughs> I think there should be more two-year deals. That They're great. But yeah. he's just so much fun. He totally is. But let's just enjoy these two years, man. It's, <laughs> it's like the it's like the part one and part two. We know part three is going to be bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, I guess the other name to mention then would be Garrett Williams, who is their seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State. He p- has pitched very sparingly. This was actually. They did a guy a couple years ago, the same thing, Chase Johnson, who pitched very little his junior year. Um, that was because he was in the doghouse with his coach. Garrett Williams has pitched very sparingly this year because he has absolutely no idea where he's throwing the ball. Oh, jeez. But, but there are some... the College War- World Series, so they're not... That's right. There are people who think he could be a... He, they could move him back to starter if they could fix his mechanics because he has a lot of stuff that he throws and a so, lot of stuff with all the stuff. Um. So you'll hear a lot of people talk about how the Giants are a good place for pitching projects to go because they know how to develop pitchers. Do you think that's true? Like, are they better than other teams at that? Um, I am agnostic, maybe is the right word on that. I'm, I don't think they're pitcher whispers. I do think the major league staff is really good. Um, yeah. And I think there are things they do well trying to work with mechanics but I don't really believe there's a kind of secret sauce. Um, I will say this: that there's some, there are some organizations that are, they fit the player to their system, and I think that always works out really, really badly. They they try and cookie cutter all their players, and I don't think the Giants do that. I think they really do kind of try and find the strength in a pitcher and work with it, which you know makes sense anyway. Um, so you're going to get what you can get out of a, out of a guy, but I don't think their pitcher was first. And you're basing that on, well, since people have been saying that 
they haven't really turned around a lot of these projects, actually. Um, well, and you know why? Because most projects don't turn around. Right, right. But I, th I think you and I had talked about this before. Like, they're not the Orioles, like what you said. They're not going to try to make you make the player get on their program. They're going to look at what this guy's strengths are and just go like, let's see if we can make the best version of you, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, and like I said, they love these kind of big body guys. Like Madison Bumgarner is a, such a giant, and yet they also spent a top ten pick on Tim Lincecum. So I, I think of them as a pretty intellectually flexible group. Let's take a moment to pause. Did you watch Tim Lincecum's uh, start the other day? I very, very sadly did not get to watch his start. Uh, I had a previous engagement, but I am going to watch it on, on MLP TV maybe maybe uh, tomorrow uh, because I desperately want to see him pitch well again. It was very interesting because uh, I don't think he looked much different than how he looked with the end with the Giants. Uh, I think he just maybe made a couple of different – I think he just didn't mess up as much as he used to. His fastballs seem you know, it was the same as it was, but he spotted his pitches a little bit better. That's what all it seemed like to me. Which Did he look like he could throw strikes? Yes, he was able to. He still had that – I think as he – after about the fourth inning, he, you know, I think he's still trying to get his energy back. He had a leadoff walk in his sixth inning, but he was able to get a double play. So he was able to throw strikes, but I still think the wildness is very much there. That The wildness that frustrated us over the last three years. Um, I think I read somewhere that he threw 40% change-ups, which was like the highest percentage of change-ups in a start for anybody in years and years and years. Well, Glenn Kuyper kept calling it a splitter, and that was driving me crazy. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, he looked. I mean, he's thirty-one, so he should still be able to do this for a few more years. But he he, comp he was competitive. But I think the Giants have seen that before, right? He'd get two or three starts, three maybe four starts, string good ones together, and then it would just kind of his bad habits or whatever was happening to him happen. So yeah, I'm mean, out of the box to see him do well. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm one of the people who I really want to see him do well, and I'm very, very happy to see him doing well somewhere else because it was painful to watch him the last couple of years. I mean, it was hard. Yeah, but he he still fits into the bigger point that you said about what the Giants kind of do, and that, or maybe this draft especially, he has stuff. Let's figure out the rest from there. Like there was no doubt that Tim Lincecum had the ability to strike out hitters and, and power past people. And all the other stuff was about his size and durability. And the Giants were like, let's worry about that when we need to. Let's use what's there. Um, uh, and they did. And then they, yeah. then for some reason they signed him to a two-year extension beyond that. <laughs> and then here we are. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, too, about Linscom is people always talk about pitchers' repertoire. Do they have the repertoire to be a starter? I mean, this is a big thing with Phil Bickford, who maybe we'll talk about in a second. Let's go but, right into I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> Lincecum's changeup and slider were both fundamentally developed in the majors. I hadn't realized that. I thought his his changeup came along. His, well. I mean, his big strikeout pitch, both in, in college and his very short minor league career, was the curveball, uh, the one that Shane Victorino hit out of the park on, like his third pitch of his big league career. I do remember and that. <laughs> he he very very quickly in his rookie year figured out that major league hitters. We're not going to respond to that curveball the same way that amateur hitters had, 
And he kind of developed that change on the fly. And then the slider came after that. And uh, I think, uh, and uh, a little, little, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, Doug, did you watch the start? Uh, no, I was watching the Giants game at the time, so I had to recap it. Oh. I didn't go back and record it or anything. Oh. I had them both on, but uh, yeah, it was, so it was, it was good to watch. But let's talk about the future. Let's talk about Phil Bickford. Because okay, so, I kind of want to write poems about him, but you you start. <laughs> so I will I will sneak peek in in tomorrow's minor lines. I I am going to say that Phil Bickford's debut today for San Jose was the most exciting debut that anybody has made in San Jose since Lensingham. Um, wow! So this is just step back. This week, the big news of this week was they had three major pitching promotions. Uh, Bickford went up to San Jose, Sam Coonrod went up to Richmond, and then Adalberto Mejia moved up to Sacramento. And all three of them made their debut this weekend, so it was a pretty big weekend for the future. Uh, um, Coonrod's was the, the, the lesser of the three. Uh, Mejia was fantastic, and he's really been fantastic all year, and he's a guy who I wouldn't be surprised to see him contributing maybe this year. Uh, but Bickford today was just electric. He struck out nine of the first ten batters he faced. Jeez. <laughs> all swinging. Um, he had a, a minor blip. He, he hit a batter, and when he went into the stretch, he gave up two singles. But then he retired the next eight guys, four of them striking out. So he ended up with 13 strikeouts, retired 18 of the 21 batters he faced, and almost all of them were swinging. I think there was one of the 13 that was looking. Um, he just he just was throwing it by Rancher Cucamonga hitters from beginning to end, which is mostly what he's done in Augusta this year too. Uh, but this was extreme. It was it's his career high uh, in strikeouts, uh, and it was just it was really just electric to watch. Um, so this is like this is what you want to see when you promote a guy, right? This is quite a. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's if you're Bobby Evans or or anyone really in the front office, and you're you're spending your Sunday night drinking your beer, and you're looking back at what happened, and you're like, oh, the plan is is unfolding perfectly here. Uh, it's it's thrilling. I mean, Bickford to me is sort of in the in the whole is in the Bumgarner mold, really, and uh, I'm very excited to see how this plays out. That's my hope. I'm so he's an, he's an enigma because the, if you just read the stats on his stuff, it doesn't leap off the page. He's not Noah Syndergaard. He's not throwing 100 miles an hour with you know 80, 94 mile an hour sliders. Um, in fact, the people who've seen him have frequently seen it, talked about him being in the low 90s with his fastball, but nobody can seem to actually make contact with it for for whatever reason. So. He's doing something right because he misses a lot of bats. Is it, is it something that's going to play at higher levels in the majors? That's the question. Uh, that, is, that is very clearly the question. And I think even in the Sally, you saw when he repeated teams several times over that it wasn't quite the same performance. Um, but today he was throwing a lot of sliders, too. It was the first time I'd seen him really go away from a fastball-heavy mix. And that was a pretty good-looking pitch. Uh, but there is something – he has some deception in his delivery that's making it hard for people to pick up. Whether that's going to play all the way at the top if he doesn't 
get some boost in velocity along the way is I think the people who are skeptical about him will always pick at that, would be my guess. He is a big guy, though. I mean, he's, he's basically, he's Tyler Beatty's height, but not nearly Tyler Beatty's um, physical presence. He doesn't have anywhere near that weight. So you would think he could add on some strength. It just seems on paper that uh, he's very consistent about getting strikeouts and not really giving up you know, more hits than he's than innings pitched or what have you. And he doesn't seem like a walk crazy guy either. So for me, you know, being a complete idiot that just trending, trending through the history of minor leaguers, these are all positive things. And I really am looking for a guy who can come into the rotation and be good. It doesn't have to be yeah. an ace, but can be good. And obviously I think Bickford, you know, he's only just now getting to San Jose that he's two, three years away. Uh, most likely that or two years away that you know that's he's steadily progressing it's exciting in other words basically when a guy when a guy strikes out the entire order the first time through it's, it's definitely exciting <laughs> yes yeah, uh, was Tweak your order for that game what's that was no Tweak was not Tweak was not oh. in, the, in the order today <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so they didn't get to strike him out as the beer batter Romo struck him out as the beer batter uh, a couple nights ago <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned, so, uh, I don't know how Doug feels about this. I know Doug's seen a lot of these guys. My, my tendency is to think that the Giants have a lot of pitchers at the upper minors who look like they could be like PV replacements or cane replacements, but seeing somebody who's equator replacement is a lot more difficult. It's kind of my, my view. Do you, would you agree with that, Doug? Yeah, probably. I mean, the the thing is um, with guys, especially in San Jose, that we've seen the jump to double A in the last few years, it seems to be a lot harder than it used to be. Because I remember when guys who were who were good in, in single A, you know, they'd move up to double to A and they'd still be, they'd, you know, still be good. So Clayton Blackburn was still good there. Ty Block was still good there. Um, there was some attrition with Crick, Kyle Crick. But yeah. lately, it seems like Tyler Beatty had a lot of struggles when he moved up. Chase Johnson, you saw Sam Kernrod was just crushing the Cal League. He was dominating it like no one I can remember. And he had a lot of trouble his first start. It seems like that's yeah, that's kind of been a big proving ground that um that, you know, I I kind of look at Bigford and I get really hopeful and I sort of think, but I should wait so I don't get my hopes crushed. Because if those starts had been, you know, if those starts had been indicative, then BD would be at least in triple A by now. And a lot of things like (laughs) That's true. Although his I think none of the other guys have shown Bickford's pure strike, you know, his ability to strike people out. I mean, right. He's 69 Ks and 15 walks so far this year, which is not too shabby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, so we, let's talk about the other guy real quick. Adalberto Mejia, you had mentioned. Um, he also was promoted, but this was to triple A, which means he was already, he had already surrendered five home runs by the time he unpacked his bag. Um, but he actually, to go with those five home runs, he uh, pitched seven innings and he had eight strikeouts, no walks, four hits allowed. Uh, that's, that's a a very impressive, uh, debut at the next level. Yeah. He's, he's had a tremendous year. Uh, and he, he's had a really kind of a long and interesting career. This was his, his third year in double A to begin with. Um, 
and by far the best of them. Uh, he's a guy who the Giants have always promoted aggressively really young, and he has struggled at leagues, but kind of bend but not break, and they keep moving him up. Uh, but the first year when he went to A, which was 2014, he is a big, big human being, uh, very large, very big shoulders, and he can carry a tremendous amount of weight. And that first year, he got heavy and soft, and his stuff really degenerated. Uh, and then that winter, he got popped for a diet, for, for essentially purchasing a diet pill in the Dominican that had an illegal substance in it, so he got suspended. So he's had two kind of up and down years, but this year, he has really been sensational. Um, I personally don't think he's going to be... I mean, he has really good stuff. He throws low 90s from the left-hand side. He's got a nice, uh, very good change, a good slider. I don't think he's going to be a strikeout guy, but he's got enough stuff to be competitive against the highest level batters, so they have to respect the fastball, which allows the secondaries to play. But I suspect he's going to be more of a pitch-to-contact guy than a strikeout guy at the majors, but he's got the overall feel for pitching to make that play is is my tight synopsis of Mejia. And he's definitely getting to the point where he can be a contributor in the majors very soon, I would think. Uh, it certainly seems like it's trending in that direction. And Suarez has done, I'd say, fine uh, for what the Giants need. And so, you know, I, I would imagine it comes to if Jake PV falls apart or something more catastrophic happens, at least in the next month or two. Otherwise, it seems... I mean, he is probably slated for September right now. I would think so. I would, I, and I also think if it ever came to it, he'd be a really good bullpen piece. Uh, I don't think you want to put him there, but, um, oh, you God. know. Roger, uh, there's so many people in the bullpen. I just don't. <laughs> How big does that party need to get? Seriously. <laughs> do, I mean, do we um, want another game where Bochy plays, pitches everyone in the bullpen? So, <laughs> but there's three more people in there. Um, yeah. Uh, anything to say about uh, Gene Machi being re-signed uh, to the team? Uh, I don't. Doesn't seem like. Doesn't seem like he's really a different pitcher than the guy that they released. No, um, I would not think he is. <laughs> it, it's a very giant signing to take someone who had some success with them and be like, "Well, we'll just stow you in AAA for a little while. Let's see what you can do." Right. <laughs> it's as someone who watches lots of Giants AAA games. I assure you. There are many of those guys. So this is a good question for both of you. Is Mike Broadway ever going to stick? Or is he always going to be off Broadway? Boom! Nail that joke. <laughs> um, I I mean, it seems like he's not. Like, he looked so good in AAA last year. Um, and then he came up and he didn't look good in the majors. The beginning of this year, he had a lot of troubles in, tri- in, in the minors. They called him up anyway for a few days just because I think they needed a body. Uh, it didn't go very well, and they sent him back down. He's been fine since, if I if I am looking at the stats right. But I don't know if they're still looking at him the way they were as another possible, like Hunter Strickland, scrap heap, uh, Corey Guerin type guy. Yeah, um, he might just be someone. He might be one of the first ones who, if they need a Ross a forty man spot, I could see him being the one to lose the one he has. So, Mike, you saw him in person a lot. I, I kind of would watch him on, on Milk TV. My feeling last year was he was just 
decimating the PCL hitters with that slider, which he would throw off the plate. But then when he came up to the majors, major league hitters would either let it be a ball or they would spoil it until they could get to his fastball. And he didn't really have an answer for that, that, that they were much better at fouling off that slider than, than AAA hitters were. Is that kind of what you saw too? Um, I, I, it seemed like he was, he was throwing it off the plate more. It might have been they were laying off more. But he was also dominating guys in the minors of the fastball. Yeah. And major league hitters, maybe it was a little, maybe, you know, it was, it was fast enough in the minors, but not, um, but didn't have enough movement on it for the majors. I mean, that could be it. I, I really couldn't, you know, because I, I saw him in person and he, he would look great with whatever he was throwing. And then on TV with the, with the giants, he would, he would look bad with whatever he was throwing. <laughs> well, he kept making that mistake that all the bullpen guys do is I'm going to throw a strike and they, Throw it right down the middle, right? <laughs> Which is not great. Um, but it's, I have, it's just crazy how good major league hitters are. I think even the bad ones. Great. Yeah, even the bad ones. <laughs> uh, I I have a couple of other players. If you have any comment on, I want to know about. But then I think Doug, we have a couple of questions related yeah. to the draft, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I want I want to know real quick about Austin Slater because he's a name that's popped up on my Twitter feed occasionally, or. I think he was a guy that Jen Ramos, back in an old podcast of ours, had mentioned as someone that she was excited about. Um, and I, I just wanted to know if there's anything that I should be, if I should be watching more of these games, if he's going to be anything more than a backup. Um. So my tendency about Slater is to think that his future is a utility guy or a fourth outfielder, he hits the ball. He makes a lot of contact. So he's a very, very giant guy. Uh, and he hits the ball hard a lot. He, but he doesn't do a lot of other supplementary things. He's, he's, he's versatile defensively, but not great at any defensive position. Um, his swing doesn't have a loft in it, so he's not a big power guy. Uh, but he can make contact, and he can hit the ball hard, and he can play kind of all over the field, <clears throat> which to me sounds sort of like a, a utility package in the end of the day. He could surprise and be better than that, but he's definitely looks like a contributor to me anyway. Can he be Dustin Moore without the knee injury? <laughs> and, and, and without the time when he caught the ball and lost the game because of it in San Diego. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we just aired Dustin Moore's entire career. here. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> Dustan Moore, for those who don't know, D-U-S-T-A-N. So. Um, oh, okay. There were, there were I, people I, who were very, very mad when the Giants didn't didn't keep Dustin Moore, as I recall. Well, his knee exploded. You want to wait through all that? And then he never really well, came back anyway. It wasn't – I think when they let him go, it wasn't necessarily the knee. People – that was like the golden age of Moneyball had come out a couple of years ago. So everyone was like, on base percentage, on base percentage. And he happened to have a great on base percentage with the Giants, um, which wasn't backed up by anything he'd ever done in his career before. And then he kind of pissed off Giants fans with uh, – of making that catch, <laughs> and so they and so they probably figured, well, the organization's all heard about that, so they're just getting rid of him because he's stupid. <laughs> That's my impression of Giants fans. It's really good. That was on. You know, um, somebody signed Travis Dinker this week. I saw. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> 
Might have been the Dodgers. I'm not sure. Somebody brought him out of Mexico. Nothing means anything. <laughs> uh, one, and one other guy that me, I'm personally curious about, I mean, it seems like it's never going to happen again, but Ricky Romero seemed like, you know, I was excited when the Giants signed him. I'm like, maybe because I bought into the whole idea of like, they are pitcher whispers. And I like that you've been like, no, not really. So, but I mean, he was a guy, obviously, who fell off the map and and was a potentially the Blue Jays were thinking he was going to be an ace. And then that went away quickly. And then it was it was can we fix him and make him a serviceable pitcher? And I'm just very curious to see if there's anything that the Giants are going to be able to do with him. And I, I would I'm again, I'm not talking in the he's going to be a front end of the rotation guy. I'm just thinking about if the Giants are suddenly down two starters again, they're going to need somebody who can eat up innings and be good at it. And I'm looking at the list of people who could potentially fill that role, and I'm not encouraged. So is there a chance of a Ricky Romero, Ryan Vogel songing 2016 or 2017? I think um, he's hurt right now. I think um, he, made he made one start, right? He made he one made, start. He made, starts. He made two, two starts, starts in April. He, um, I looked. I tried to look it up because I sort of mentioned him briefly in in my recap on Saturday, and I was like, "Well, why did he get hurt?" And of course, it's the minor league, so there's no information on it. But um, the, he'd had bad knees, kind of degenerative knees, for years, and he just couldn't ever get it right. So that's my guess. Okay, because so he's done. I don't, I don't think he's coming back. That would be my guess. Roger, do you have anything more? No, no. I mean, he threw one or two games last year in the in the AZL camp, and then they put him on the AAA roster this year. And yeah, two starts, and he left one, the second one, early, and it didn't sound like he was feeling good. And we have never seen him since. Yeah. So my so takeaway- eating innings, not so much. So what I should be thinking is to never, ever, ever hope or wish for a Ryan Vogelsong situation. That is stupid. <laughs> Got it. All right. What are our Twitter questions? <laughs> okay. So the first one comes from Steve. Oh, the first one comes from Juan Barajas and asks uh, at Yay Area eight five three, and he asks, "Where do you think Brian Reynolds starts twenty seventeen? Augusta, San Jose." Um, San Jose, without a doubt. Call it the high round college guys start in San Jose. Okay. Uh, question answered, Juan. <laughs> uh, so C- next question comes from Steve Svensson at Svensson19. He asks, with Williamson and Parker not showing much, if Arroyo doesn't get dealt, is it time to get him acclimated left field with 2017 in mind? I know that the Giants talked about that in spring. Um, I think at this point they're still committed to leaving him in the infield. And I'm not sure that that's going to be the best fit offensively or defensively. I mean, he does have a lot of skills that would be wasted in left field, and I'm not sure the bat's going to develop the power for left field. I mean, he's got a lot of devil's power. And he seems to be, there's a weird thing with the Royal, uh, he has literally half his season's walks this week. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if that's, they're, they're trying something there, but 
I think for now, continuing to let him develop as an infielder is probably the best strategy. And that's what I think the Giants are going to do. Um, would you say that maybe Duffy's struggles this year offensively play into that too? They don't want to move him to the outfield and then possibly have to move him to third if Duffy turns out to be closer to this year's Matt Duffy than last year's? Yeah, that, I mean, if you're looking long-term, that would make sense to me. Um, until you really have a good sense of who Duffy and even Panic are long-term, although I think Panic mostly was just hitting in bad luck early on. But yeah, it's, you keep them at the best position and, and see what you need when you need it is probably the best idea. And uh, I have written off Matt Duffy, so that's that's it. That should mean he's coming back soon, then, that's I would think. It. Right? That's right. So I don't know uh, if what where Christian Arroyo lands then. Uh, well, thanks, Roger, for joining us and putting up with my general ignorance and specific <laughs> baseball ignorance. Um, you can, where can people find you on internet? The only stuff? place anyone can ever find me is on McCovey Chronicles, uh, where I do the daily minor lines. Uh, but that's not true. I'm also at Rod61 on Twitter, and I occasionally tweet some thoughts. Which are all excellent. Uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah.